Just having business data isn't enough. But ZoomInfo leverages that data to unlock useful insights, like who to reach and how to reach them, so you can grow your business. Unlock insights at ZoomInfo.com. ZoomInfo, how business goes to market. It's the listener question episode. It's that time of week where we all get together and we answer your questions on the air on this edition of the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. I'm Anthony Cazenza, joined as always by John Sheeran, who himself is gearing up for quite the soiree tonight, he was telling me before we took the air. How, how are you, bud? I'm, I'm doing good. Fresh off of seeing Lamar Jackson break the single season rushing yards record for a quarterback while also throwing five touchdowns against the team that we... the Bengals absolutely handily beat. So. That was, yeah. that was fun to watch. Yeah, and the Bengals' first-round pick from that class was on the bench last week. So, yay! Uh, well, I hope you have a, a fun time tonight. Sounds like you might it might be something where you're able to drown your sorrows and or ain't no wash, sorrows wash, tonight, man. Wash, ain't no wash tonight. away the 2019 season. Maybe that. Maybe that's how we should put it. But oh, good vibes only right now. That's right. That's right. Well. This is the listener questions episode. We've already got some questions queued up uh, to, to get to, so we will do that. Please get them to us. Uh, we're going to be here for about 20 minutes or so answering some questions uh, so you can get them to us. We're, we're streaming live on Cincy Jungle's Facebook page and strolling, uh, scrolling the live chat there, so get them to us there. You can also get them in a similar way on our YouTube channel where we are streaming live, so Get them to us that way on Twitter at Bengals OBI. We'll be checking that out. There is a post on CincyJungle.com where you can leave a comment or you can call, text us 949-542-6241 is the number there. We'll also keep an eye on the email, theobinsider at gmail.com. So get those questions to us how you can. Get the show how you can if you're unable to join us live on any number of audio podcast platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, all that stuff. Uh, and then, you know, be sure to try and join us for all of the live episodes, the live recordings of the episodes that we have of this show. John, kick us off, my friend. Yeah, let's just, let's just dive right into the live comments. We have one from Alex Head, who's a frequent listener, frequent fan of the show. He asked, am I the only Bengals fan that isn't drinking the Joe Burrow Kool-Aid? In my opinion, he has Mitchell... He has Mitchell Trubisky project and or comparisons. It's a catastrophic move if they pass on Chase Young or Tua Tungalaloa. Will the Bengals have the same boring offseason approach? Yada, yada, yada. Lamar Jackson is now the king of the AFC North. The AFC Bengals now need game-changing prospects in order to compete with Baltimore. Loaded question, but a, a lot of it stems from the same problem. Um, I the, the whole Mitchell Trubisky thing was that he was officially a one-year starter out of UNC, and he had one pretty good year there albeit not against a great strength of schedule and albeit i don't think he really finished the year strong and i think the nfl saw his potential in that quarterback class along with the 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 perceived risk of both patrick mahomes and deshaun watson declared him the best quarterback in that class and chicago basically went on with that traded up one spot for him and now they're in the mess that they are because trubisky was never that good and the history of one-year starting quarterbacks coming out of college isn't very good i think cam newton is really the lone exception for someone like that to really you know 
fulfill what potential that he has. So one-year starters are always a risk. And I think both Dwayne Haskins and Kyler Murray were also one-year starters. Joe Burrow is not a one-year starter. He does have two years of starting experience at LSU. And the thing you love about Burrow and his growth in 2019 was the fact that his 2018 season didn't get off to a great start. He looked very average. And that's why going into this year, he was projected as a day three pick. But he finished the 2018 season well. I think Pro Football Focus graded him with four games above 85 overall offensive grade to finish out that season. So he had... He showed signs of promise to finish out his first year of starting, and obviously we've seen the growth that he has in his second year of starting. So, no, I don't think a Trubisky comparison is, is that apt in this sense because Trubisky truly only had one year of starting experience, and he was also more on the older older side of, of the age spectrum along with Burrow. So I don't think it's a direct one-to-one comparison, and I think you look at the just comparing the the – physical traits and the, and, and the intangibles between the two quarterbacks. And I don't think it's necessarily close either. What Burrow's doing at LSU in his second year of starting, not first year of starting, is astronomical compared to what we've seen in recent memory. And that's what makes him the clear-cut number one overall quarterback prospect in this draft and much better, a much better prospect than, than Trubisky was overall. Yeah, so I'm, I'm sharing uh, some, some of my screen and some statistics here for Joe Burrow. I mean, you're looking at – he's got 13 games in 2018 that he played in. So – uh, I mean, he's, he's not really a one-year starter, and that's kind of where I've learned my lesson a little bit with him. Uh, you know, you kind of just look at today and you or you look at this year and you say, well, this guy came out of nowhere. Where, you know, where's this been? Where's this been? Well, it's opportunity. It's the right scheme. It's the right place. It is talent around him on that team. Uh, look, my, my thing with him is he's played what, what, I, what I have grown to really like about him, his consistency and his play in big games. Now, he's got probably one, if not two, gigantic games coming up here for, for his resume, coming up in the college football playoff and potentially the national championship. Um, so th- that'll tell us some more things about him. But he has been consistent. He has not been turning the ball over. And he has been making plays, creating – I mean, f- six interceptions against 48 touchdowns this year is silly. I mean, that's just silly statistics. The, the thing about him, though – that I think some people get worried about. I, I think I see him as the highest floor guy of, of the big three quarterbacks. I think his floor is the highest. And I think that even if he doesn't quote unquote pan out or quote unquote live up to expectations, I think his floor is an at least an Andy Dalton-ish level. I think he can he can get you to be competitive. I think he can make plays and he can wow you at times at the, in, at the NFL level. I think that's his floor. I think the ceiling may be a little lower than a guy maybe like Tua, maybe like Herbert, but the risk level with those two other quarterbacks are significantly higher for differing reasons. So, you know, I I think high floor, maybe not as high ceiling, and that's okay for a team like the Bengals that already, you know, despite being 1-12, and they've got talent, especially if they bring back an A.J. Green. You've got Mixon for another year. Cordy Glenn came back. He he looks to be kind of in the right mindset of things and, and healthier. Jonah Williams was activated at practice to practice uh, this week. So, you know, you've got some pieces in place going forward in 2020. If you get the quarterback position settled, I, I think the hype is really, really high right now, John. Um, and I think a lot of it is rightfully earned. But I do think with hype does come lofty expectations. And I think there's got to be a little bit of caution there, too. And that's fair. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that's fair. And to answer Alex's second part of the question, how Baltimore is really the standard in the AFC North, uh, Jason from overthecap.com, the guy who runs 
the uh, website that, that focuses on sports contracts specifically pertaining to the NFL. He posted a chart a couple days ago on Twitter. It showed the um, winning percentages of NFL teams from 2017 to 2019 and compared them to percentage of homegrown talent. The two teams with over 75% of the roster coming from their own like draft classes, whatnot, or the Bengals and Ravens. And right now, the, the difference in winning percentage, Ravens is, are just under 70% winning percentage the past three years, and the Bengals are just over 30%. So the, the in terms of how they're structured and how they build their teams, they're very similar. But obviously, like Alex has said, they need game-changing prospects. And I don't think the Bengals' philosophy is necessarily going to change dramatically overnight and over the course of one season and then totally adapt what the Ravens are doing because the Ravens are so far ahead of everybody else in terms of team building and and management and analytics and all all their other departments and how much more expanded it is than the Bengals. But the Bengals just need to draft better players because the way that they're going to build the teams, build their team is not going to be much different as long as Mike Brown and that ownership maintain status there. And I think the Ravens right now are the gold standard and it'll take more than just one season for the Bengals to completely evolve. But in terms of, of how they, you know, build the rosters, it's very similar, but obviously the Ravens have had immense amounts of success over the past three years in drafting and making the most of their draft capital. So yeah, like they're the gold standard right now and the Bengals are trying to emulate that, but they're still obviously way behind in that regard. Yeah. And this, I mean, I put a post up a little bit earlier on Cincy jungle that talked about, you know, the Steelers, their organizational culture. I mean, they're on their third quarterback, they're eight and five. They know how to build a team. They know how to win. They know how to make it work just kind of quickly to finish up the Joe Burrow conversation here. Nick Samino in the live Facebook says, uh, Burrow's offensive line is good. He'll get killed here. Here's the thing. I mentioned Jonah Williams coming back. If he pans out, that's going to be a good player. You would probably get either right tackle or left guard improved. Once Williams is back, you either slide Cordy Glenn to left guard or potentially, I would say, right tackle. Um, And then you maybe have Michael Jordan or Billy Price or those guys maybe duke it out a little bit at left guard. Trey Hopkins has had a decent year. Um, you know, at center. So, uh, you know, I, I don't think, and John Miller has been okay. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I think, I think there's that, there's some, some additional promise. Yeah. Injuries. And we know that the, the, the what ifs, but I think there's some promise there, but also Burrow is very good at creating. He is very good at avoiding pressure, rolling out, making a what should be a sack for many quarterbacks at the college level or NFL level, making that into even a three to five yard gain to the running back to create a third and short instead of a second or, you know, a third and 15. Um, So I think John, I don't know if you have any expanded thoughts on that, but uh, you know, I think he's, that's, that's one of his best strengths is is creating uh, upon seeing pressure. Look, like we talked about it earlier this year when Evan McPhillips from Pro Football Focus came on, and the problem is not necessarily of Dalton facing a lot of pressure, but it's the fact that he's just not doing anything when they have it, when he has a clean pocket, and those problems haven't been erased at all. There's only five quarterbacks this year with a higher percentage of clean dropback rate than any Dalton this year. He, he's had 69% of his dropbacks have been in the clean pocket, and a lot of that has been attributed to the fact that he gets the ball really, really quickly because they necessarily can't trust his offensive line to withstand protection, but the overall perception of the offense line is a lot worse than what it actually is. It has improved over, over the past eight, several weeks, and it's not as catastrophic as people think that that would assume that Joe Burrow is going to get killed behind this offense line. It's not, it's not as bad as people think. Not right. Bad. 
Right. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna move on here again. Get to us. We've got. I, I've seen some questions coming in the comments there of both the Facebook Live, the Cincy Jungle Facebook page, and our Orange and Black Insider YouTube channel. So keep those coming. We're gonna try and get to those. You can also tweet them at us at Bengals OBI. Email them the at gmail.com. You can give us a call or shoot us a text nine four nine five four two six two four one. We'll be uh, answering some questions. There's also a comment thread on cincyjungle.com if you are so inclined to leave one there. John, kind of continuing on the quarterback conversation here, we we got a, uh, a question about Justin Herbert. Have your perceptions changed of him both because of his play and speaking to Joseph Yoon this week? No, not necessarily. I think the first time I really started to watch him was around that Arizona game, and then when I watched it live, I – obviously liked what I saw a lot from it you know in general it's it's hard to project quarterbacks like him who have such who have had such volatile a volatile career path and the fact that he showed such raw positive traits intrigued me but also realizing that there's still a lot of problems with with him overall and he's had struggles obviously against good defenses this year in the Arizona State game really kind of put put a lot of the struggles in per, into perspective but I think it did, at the end of the day he, he has the most questions out of these three quarterbacks that are worth taking with a first round pick and you know it, it, it's a question of the fact that he has a lot of experience but the fact that he would be better served to, to rest or to be to be benched in this rookie year behind a veteran quarterback. So my perceptions of him hasn't really changed that much. It was, it was almost, it's almost like they were really just overall confirmed rather than just um, learning anything new about him. So the, overall, I think he's still the same quarterback that I think a lot of us thought of him going into this year. Yeah, here's the thing too. Herbert's 21, Tua's 21. Uh, they're going to be 22, but Burrow's 23. Uh, mm-hmm. And that that is a big difference in terms of development of a of a quarterback where they're at. Um, you know, Herbert's had more kind of more starts. I think the one thing to kind of bat, you know, a lot of people don't realize we talked about the drops, uh, by receivers. We talked about that with Joseph Yun this week from addicted to quack. Um, we, we also, uh, also to note is that he's been through three, I, I believe three head coaches and three offensive coordinators, two different systems. Um, he still put up some numbers, particularly the last couple of years, but, there are some, there's some development that's needed there. And there is, you know, there are some bad habits at times that pop up on tape that need to be rectified if you're going to rely on him. Otherwise, you know, you're going to look at a Jake Locker, a Blaine Gabbert, someone like that as your, you know, as maybe who he ends up being instead of, uh, you know, a franchise changing guy. I think the ceiling is, like I said, higher on a guy like that than, than a guy like Burrow, maybe not by much, but I think the ceiling is higher because of the size, the tools, all of that. But I think there are some concerns and in some of those, the two team, the team's two biggest games this year against Auburn and the t- the win they had to have on the road against a, a mediocre Arizona state team. He, he looked very vulnerable. So um, there, there are some issues there. I think my mind has changed a little bit on him, but I still think I'm still really intrigued by the tools. I'm really intrigued by the skill set. And, uh, you know, I, I think if given the right situation, maybe given some time to develop, I think that that's going to be key for him. Whereas a guy like Burrow, he's ready to go right now. Uh, that That's a guy who's ready to come in and start right now. Can't say really the same about Tua or uh herbert for ver- for differing reasons we've got a call on the line john i believe it's our good friend terrell terrell how's it going today bud 
How you guys doing? We're doing we're doing well. Good to hear from you, man. Yeah, I I, heard, I, I know everybody was the quarterback madness and all that though, but I got it's some it's some guys that uh I just I I, I was I got uh, a picture of I, mean, I just got some uh, guys that my big boy I, I feel like that's real good. It's it's the safety from Pittsburgh, he just come up and hit you. Hmm. And he could cover too. Uh, I forgot his name. It's two of them. It's a corner and some safety. I'm talking about the safety. I think I think his last name Ford. And I got Brown, the beast of the tackle from uh from uh from Auburn, one of my big boy too. And I like Herbert though, but uh, I just feel like sometimes he be kinda throwing kinda flattered, throwing kinda overthrowing. And I got uh Burroughs number one and uh, and Chase Young is number two. And um, I just like once again, I appreciate every time. I just want them to get some playmakers and some and some guys that want to tackle and some and there's some big names because I feel like we got Lamar Jackson, Baker Mayfield. I know Big Ben getting up there, whatever. And then we we just be best with what? I mean, just an old AJ and a Geno and a Don So I just feel like, I mean, even though I feel like Mixon is emerging, and I hope he get more TV time next year, and also boy. And I just feel like you know the offensive line just need to upgrade. You already we already know that at least a couple of tackles and the tough guards. And I heard something about oh, man, uh, uh, uh Belaga from um uh, from Green Bay. I heard they might be getting rid of him, and hopefully we might try to get uh, get him or something. And I just leave you guys with that and uh, early. Uh, happy holidays. Yeah, back at you, man. And hopefully you've been enjoy. You've given us some. Uh some good good names here to go to continue our 2020 prospect watch. I hope you've been listening to the show and enjoying kind of our, not only our breakdowns, but our interviews with others oh, on some of the oh, promise. All, all the time, awesome. All the time. Well, well, we'll, we'll get to those two players that you mentioned there, the Auburn tackle and the Pittsburgh safety, but off offhand, I'm not overly familiar with them, but that you've given yeah, us some they, good, they, uh, they, some good I'm names. Just, to, I'm just saying like if we, was, we, we take sample. We missed on DJ Metcalf and Greedy Williams. So I feel like if we was gonna jump up and get somebody that's a yeah. no name, I feel like I'm trying to tell you they got to get checked out. Yep, they got to get immediate impact Thank players. You. Thanks, Terrell. Appreciate it. Yeah, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know those those players offhand, John. I, I maybe you do. I gotta, I gotta check out, uh, do some research on them. But um, some good fuel there for us to to continue our prospect watch. And you know, safety is a really difficult position to to kind of evaluate I, I feel like it's been a tale of two seasons uh for Sean Williams and Jesse Bates I feel like they started off very very slow and looked like they regressed and I think of late especially Bates has stepped up and made some big plays and I think that probably correct me if I'm wrong especially with the elimination of Preston Brown you know they're still going to want these rover type of guys a, a safety or two kind of being able to play up to the line a little bit while being able to cover, you've got your center field guy and in, in Bates, and maybe you kind of have the three safety look going forward, and maybe that's where a pick like that makes sense. So yeah, like they have, they're pretty strong in stage right now. They're pretty set as of right now. Um, right, Clay, Clayton Fedulum and uh, Brandon Wilson are pretty good back. Unfortunately, Wilson's on IR, but th- those two are pretty good as as your reserve backup safeties, guys that you can rotate in. And like you said, Jesse Bates has improved over over the past several weeks i think I, I said it on the last show he leads the nfl in safeties in interceptions but also leads the nfl in missed tackles so he's kind of developing into who we really thought he was as a prospect going in. and sean williams is still a stable member of that secondary so fedulum i think is a free agent so i think that might be the one area where they could look to to you know 
um, compensate for that loss. But I, I'm not exactly familiar with the Pittsburgh prospect. I am familiar with Derek Brown, and he was the unquestionable, you know, not, not unquestionable, but one of the better defensive players in the SEC this year out of Auburn, kind of similar to Quentin Williams and the way he plays and just his overall hand usage and his repertoire of moves to get to the passer. He's not the most productive pass rusher, but he does end up getting in the backfield a lot, and he does end up stopping a lot of runs in, in terms of you know stops at the line of scrimmage. So he's going to have a really good profile going into the draft. It'll be interesting to see how he tests, but mm-hmm. I think he's pretty locked into a first-round pick as of, as of now because he's had two or three really good seasons at Auburn, and in, in terms of just finding guys who can stop the run, he's – He's one of the best in this class. I just don't think that there's a pressing need right now for the Bengals in that department because they do have Tupo. They do have Billions. Obviously, they have Gino, and they should have Glasgow coming back from injury. And they've seen some promise from Andrew Brown and Rennell Wren this year. So it's kind of looking really clogged at the defensive tackle, but I think a couple of those guys are impending free agents as well. So the, those are two positions where I think they're pretty set in, in terms of fielding a bad defense, but a couple of free agent losses could open the need for those two positions. So was was he referring to Derek Brown? Is that? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I thought he said offensive tackle. That was my mistake. No. That's, why I, that's why I wasn't coming to mind. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, SEC defensive player of the year. He's a very, very good player. So uh, I am familiar with him. I, there was just an offensive tackle offhand. I was like, I don't, I'm not sure who he's referring to, <laughs> but I definitely know who he's, who he's talking about now. Uh, where do you want to go next, John? Let's see here. Uh, all right. We got a question from Facebook from Rob Bellamy. Do you see them drafting a quarterback and possibly chase young in the same round? So that would imply that they'd take Young first overall and then trading back into the first round for quarterback. I think somebody else asked the question of what do you what do you think about trading down the first round or trading up into the first round for a guy like Jalen Hurts? So I think that's really besides Herbert, the other quarterback that fans are gonna be intrigued with in terms of selecting a quarterback who's not Burrow or two at the top of the round. Like I, I was really excited about Hurts towards the beginning of this season, and I wasn't really concerned about him playing against poor Big 12 defenses. I was just looking at the big game moments, looking at some big-time throws down the field, and just marveling at how much success that Lincoln Riley has had over the past two or three years with whatever quarterback he plugs into that system. It, it, it ends up working. And you know, Hurts, I think, has a great mentality and a great uh, mental presence for the game and how he was kind of developed as – you know, Nick Saban type player realized that he lost his job to a more talented quarterback. Ended up going to a system that, like like we said, has developed these quarterbacks so astronomically in such a short period of time, and it's done really well at Oklahoma. Let, led you know that team back from a loss earlier in the season all the way to the college football playoff and jumping a couple of, of other good teams in the process and beating a very good Baylor team twice. Uh, and, but he, in terms of arm talent, it's not as good as Baker's was coming out of college. It's definitely not as good as Kyler Murray's coming out of college. And that's going to be the one thing that really hinders his overall value. But I think his, you know, mental capacity for the game is going to help him, you know, maybe garner out a solid career as, you know, a spot starter, maybe someone who develops later on in his career. And I'm not sure if that's worth really trading back up into the, into the first round, definitely for a team that needs a quarterback and the Bengals could classify as that. But I think, the safer place is just to get the quarterback at the top of the first and not have to worry about that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think, th- I think it would be a, a splashy move if the Bengals were to get what's widely viewed as the best overall player in the draft in chase young. And then you go back and you get maybe one of the big, you trade back in and you, you know, you sacrifice a lot of picks. Um, it, the, the bottom line is it, these things can be done. These things can be done. We've seen teams move back up give up a lot of capital to do it. It's just a matter of the Bengals willingness to do that. They do not like to part with draft capital. And that's just 
how it is. They just don't like to do that. And that's how they like to build their team, especially in recent years. And so, you know, sacrificing the next couple of classes potentially for two players that while that those could be two franchise changing players, they view it as we're sacrificing our team's health long term by giving up all of these picks. Um, you know, I, I see the, I do see the wisdom in getting Chase Young and then coming back up, depending on how, what you have to give up and, and all of that to come back and get a quarterback. The, the issue is it's probably going to take an Andy Dalton trade, use that pick, you know, a, a potential mid round pick, use that pick as part of the package to move back up. And then you're getting a quarterback that probably needs the development or needs to rehab in the case of Tua, if he ends up falling, um, you know, you're going to need to give, you're going to have a developmental guy you're going to be taking. And then you got rid of your potential bridge guy and Dalton, if that's your plan. So then you're throwing these guys out there right away when maybe they're not ready. That could yield disastrous results. Exactly. Businesses have always needed customers. So customer engagement has always been a thing. You know, steak dinners, golf, in-person handshakes. Not exactly efficient, though. But thanks to Zoom Info, times have changed. Now you can engage with the right customers across all channels and grow your business. Efficiently and effectively, all from one platform. Sorry, steak dinner guy. We've got work to do. Unlock insights. Engage customers. Win faster at ZoomInfo.com. Zoom Info. How business goes to market. Uh, what, where else you want to go? Uh, let's, let's kind of do like a three part question. You're all surrounding the same, um, okay. same topic here. So we have a question from Twitter from Holy Moly 14. Are you concerned about the giants tanking with the Janoris Jenkins release? And we had a couple of live comments in the comments section pertaining to who gets the number one pick. If the giants do lose out and get only finished with two wins, and Bengals presumably also have two wins and also a comment from uh, regarding Jenkins. Uh, Lou Anaruma has a history of Jenkins because he was the uh, secondary coach with him for one year. He could be a huge help. Do not sign Janoris Jenkins. Just, just don't do it. Like I guess in a way credit to him for being true to himself and speaking honest on the subject, but the subject of why he was released is that he was tweeting during practice and using the R word in a very derogatory way, but he claimed it was just slang because it was part of his culture, part of his upbringing. He uses it in casual conversation all the time. Not only the fact that that's just wrong in general, but also the lack of the lack of presence of knowledge and lack of situational awareness to realize that what you did was wrong and not not really owning up to it, not accepting responsibility for for your actions and not understanding why what you did was wrong, along with the fact that he was tweeting during practice. It shows a complete lack of situational awareness and understanding and just general empathetic relations. And there's no wonder why the Giants released him. And also the fact that he was regressing as a player. He's not the same player that he was. And the fact that I think the Bengals need to see who they have at cornerback right now with you know, Drake or Patrick on IR. It doesn't make any sense for them to do this. And it would go against a lot of things that Zach Taylor has instituted about establishing the, the kind of culture that he wants. So signing Janoris Jenkins is an awful move and they should not do it at all. But the Giants do have that tiebreaker over the Bengals because they're going to finish with a softer strength of schedule compared to the Bengals. And even if the Bengals tie with the uh, Washington Redskins, the Miami Dolphins, and the New York Giants all with wins, the Bengals would then have the fourth overall pick because their strength of schedule is a lot harder than the other three uh, teams. So they have the potential to be picking uh, fourth or even fifth, or I think only fourth in the draft, as, as high as four and obviously as low as one. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't – it seems – and I don't know if if – 
that listener, holy moly, on Twitter. I don't know if they were advocating picking up Janoris Jenkins or not, but usually no, they, they were saying. Were they saying? Um, I think it was. Um, you know, with the is there concerned about their tanking and, and probably yeah, losing yeah. the draft position? I think, but I mean, you were right though. I think I think whenever a name like that surfaces, Bengals fans are like, oh, well, you know, we should get this guy because we are so starved for any kind of big name free agent. Um, you know, I think that's that's kind of a natural reaction. I, I agree with you, though. I don't think that's this is the right move. I think if you know if you're going to make a move like that, and I think he was also waived injured is kind of what they said. But um, you know, I, I think if you're going to do that, you might as well stick with Dre, who's been a, a bit more of a team, a lot more of a team guy. Definitely, you know, has his ups and downs as well. But you might as well just stick with that and pay similar money for a guy like that to hang on to him instead of bringing on a Jenkins. Jenkins had a lot of issues coming out of college. Uh, to his credit, they haven't really followed him too much in the NFL, but there are instances like what you're talking about, John, where you kind of go, oh, there it is. There, 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 there's the old Janoris Jenkins. Um, so, you know, I, I don't, I don't see, I don't see the need for that right now. And, and to be quite honest with you, I, I don't think, um, you know, the pass defense is, is okay for the Bengals right now. It's really stopping the run. Um, they've, they've been, making a lot more interceptions the past few weeks. So I, I don't know. I don't really see the the wisdom in that move. Yeah. And I don't think the giants necessarily tanking. I think they're going to try to win as many as they can with Eli to kind of give them the last hurrah. And that's exactly what the Bengals are doing. So again, no, no team, no player tanks. Like it's all a front office facade basically. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of, there are a lot of questions and comments sent to us. There was a text by Erico 901 um, there are uh, some other comments f- talking about, you know, AJ Green, AJ Green, don't bring him back, all this kind of stuff. Uh, where are you at with this, John? Uh, especially with, I mean, I feel like every time we do a listener questions, the, the question is, what's up with AJ Green? Well, he's not playing. That's what's up with him. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but as each week passes, you kind of think, like, well, maybe he'll get a couple of games under his belt, he'll look healthy. He won't get hurt, and then it, that'll be the audition for either the Bengals to sign him long-term or, or whatever. I, I mean, some people are like, I'm done with this guy. Others are like, we need him back, and some are indifferent. Where are you at at this point now that the season is winding down? He hasn't played a single game. To the fans who have gone sour on A.J. Green because he hasn't played this year, I, d- I don't think that they truly understood the type of person and player AJ Green was before the season started. There's a reason why he hasn't played. There's a reason why that he's been, you know, looking good in warm-ups according to Dave Lapham before games. There's a reason why, you know, he's not 100% and why he's not playing because that's just not that's not who he is. He's not going to play out there unless he's 100%. And yeah, there could be the the whole factors of the team not being good and not in the playoff races why he's he he doesn't want to play and doesn't want to risk injury, but oh, there's still no reason for the Bengals to not sign him because one you know, his value is overall diminished for not playing in his 31 or 32 year old season. He's not going to he's not going to become more expensive because he didn't play. And number two, they're not going to spend that money on anything else besides A.J. Green. Like they're not going to use the money they save by letting A.J. Green go into free agency by signing another, you know, 15 or 16 million dollar player on the open market. That's just not who they are. That's never going to be who they are under this regime show like. 
AJ Green is still who AJ Green is. He's still the player that you fell in love with when he came into the league. He's still the he's still the same caliber of player on the field whenever he gets on the field. But he was never going to go out onto the field unless he was 100% because he knows how to take care of his body. He knows what's best for him. And I don't think he did this on purpose. I don't think that he realized that I'm in a contract year and I'm dealing with an injury and I, and I don't and I want to purposely sit out to conserve myself. No, I believe he wants to play. He just wants to play on his own terms because that's who he's always been. That's always the type of person he's been. If you if you don't ride with that, then you apparently haven't ri- ri- ridden with AJ Green for his entire career. What's lost in all this discussion about AJ Green, I think, John, a lot of people are saying, you know, I, I think I took a post game uh, a post game show and someone was saying, you know, you got to admit he's a quitter. No, I'm not going to admit that. So, so there's that camp. The the he's a quitter camp. There's the um, you know he doesn't he doesn't want to play because he's not fully healthy uh, and it's a contract thing camp. Look, I mean, I, I think I think that second part is part of it. But the thing that nobody is talking about is it's not just he's going out when when he feels right. There's a level of effectiveness of play that, that factors into this. You can look at Odell Beckham Jr. We have now learned he's had a sports hernia, and that is, as we have heard, affecting his play. He looks nowhere near like the same guy. At least he didn't last week Last week against the Bengals. He's not looking anywhere near like the same guy. A.J. Green might actually be doing the team a solid in a way and being a team guy by not putting himself out there at not 100% and not playing well. He, mm-hmm. You could go out there, not feel right, and tough through it, and go out there, and because your your ankle is, you're not getting open, you're not, you know, you're you're not catching the ball or whatever the case, you know, you're not getting your feet in bounds and making plays, getting the hundred yard games, all the stuff that comes with AJ Green that we've all been accustomed to. These things may not happen if he's not at a hundred percent. And folks aren't real. Uh, don't seem to realize that this is also not just a business decision. This is actually a maybe a potentially not hurting the team decision by not putting yourself out there and not playing well. And then come extra questions: Is he done? Should they pay him? He costs himself money. Uh, so that that to me is something that's lost in the shuffle. I think that they should they should at, at a minimum do the franchise tag. I know he doesn't want that, but from there you can negotiate a long term deal. Or you trade him for a high pick and you know a first round pick if someone is so inclined to give you that for for him, and uh, you know if he sits out, he sits out, I guess. But I, I don't see him really doing that, um, which sounds funny to say because he's been <laughs> sitting out this year. But I, you know, I you know I don't. I just think that's the route you take, and I think that that's an element that's kind of lost in terms of his injury situation. So Joe Johnson in the comment section, it isn't that AJ is a quitter. It's our idiotic medical staff and the fact that he yeah. rushed back last year and ended up making his injury worse. I think the biggest problem was the fact that they labeled this a minor injury when it clearly wasn't. It was clearly some type of high ankle sprain that was going to take him out of commission for more than the first eight weeks of the season. And the whole perception was he's going to come back before the, the eight-week mark, and that's why we're not going to place him on IR set designated to return. AJ, I think, diminished that Im- immediately when he first had the chance. Like, I, I never said anything about coming back before eight weeks. I'm going to take my time and come back before I'm ready. So the whole perception was it was some type of minor ankle injury that he suffered on a bad field when that really wasn't the case at all. It was a serious injury. Like, it's 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 almost as, it's basically as serious as the injury that Jonah Williams suffered, and no one really knew the severity of that. They just placed him on uh, on the pup list. So, you know, the, the AJ Green that people – still like is still there he's just not going to come back if he's not 100 and this is was an injury that was going to take him out and keep him from being 100 for longer than i think a lot of fans realized 
Uh, any anything else you want to get to, John? Was there another one in there? Let's see here. Uh, a lot of the same stuff that we we've already talked about. Um, why is the defense? Uh, sorry. So from Man Man Clyde from Facebook. Why has the defense looked so much better with Preston Brown release and Drake Kirkpatrick injury? We're not seeing all those infamous Kirkpatrick missed tackles and Brown being slow and lost on the fields. So we kind of talked about this a couple of days ago on the main show and how it's kind of been, you know, addition by subtraction. We're not seeing the bad plays from Kirkpatrick. We're not seeing, you know, Brown washed out, washed out of run plays and whatnot. Uh, in Kirkpatrick's place, we've seen a lot of B.W. Webb on the outside. He was really signed to be a slot cornerback because they weren't sure if Dark Westenar was going to come back and, and also going to be healthy for the start of the season and ended up he wasn't going to be healthy. So they placed Webb in the starting lineup immediately. And Kirkpatrick was basically the same player. He would be solid for, you know, 80% of the game, but then 20% he would get lost on the coverage or he had some, some dumb pass interference penalty. And the, the general fan would look at it and say, he's just a bad corner. He makes bad plays. Well, that's the perception of the cornerback position. You know, it's like, it's like offensive tackle. If you don't notice them, then odds are they're doing a good job. When you notice them, you know, they obviously messed up and, you know, had a, had a blunder or two there. So, Webb, I think, is doing the same level of play. He's just not making as many mistakes. And honestly, th- that Pittsburgh game comes to mind where you know BW Webb was you know put in the spotlight a lot and ended up, I think, having a couple of pass interference penalties. So it's really been you know the same level of play, I think, from both of them. There's just maybe just a little bit less mistakes with Webb. And with Brown, you know, the the defense in terms of Lou and Aruma and, and that staff, they weren't entirely comfortable with benching Brown for Pratt altogether, Jermaine Pratt, because Pratt himself was also making a lot of rookie mistakes and they were trusting the veteran leadership of Preston Brown. But then the fact that Preston Brown wasn't stepping up as a leader towards the later part of the season, which is why he got released. And now we've seen the, the casual rise of Jermaine Pratt in that defense. So yeah, the additions by subtractions of removing both of those guys have taken a lot of the bad plays out of the defense, which is in turn, add a lot more consistency and there's a reason why they're being competitive with this defense because they're just not making as many mistakes as they did with those two on the field. Yeah. The frustrating thing about Drake Kirkpatrick is the peaks and valleys. Um, you know, you look at his statistics. I mean, there were some injuries in the in his first season. There only played in five games. Was really kind of relegated to like special teams duty. Couldn't get really past Terrence Newman. Um, you know, all that stuff. Uh, but you know, even as a third or fourth cornerback in 2013, three interceptions. Um, another three in 2014. And then he kind of becomes the full-time starter and since in, you know, five, five seasons as really the full-time guy, full-time starter, he's got four interceptions in five seasons played. Um, that's pretty frustrating. And, and interceptions aren't the end-all be-all of a cornerback statistic, you know, what makes them a, a solid cornerback. We know that. But that's a little frustrating. The things, though, that he does well – He's got the length, he's physical, and he, like William Jackson, uh, oftentimes limit completion percentage. And that's not something you, you, you actually see in the stat column. Um, you know, so that, that helps a defense get off of the field. You look here in 2015, 2016, and 2017, a high volume, uh, a high volume of passes defended. 16, 10, and 14. So double-digit passes defended on those on those uh, years too. So, you know, I mean, he, he has some positives. And, uh, you know, I, I think that he's a guy that probably is at the tail end of his career. He's been a team leader. He's been one of the vocal guys in the locker room. He seems to really like being in, in Cincinnati. But, um, you know, I, I think 
I think that losing him is a, you know, him not being in the lineup isn't really necessarily translating to the success as much as Preston Brown being gone. I think Preston Brown being out of the lineup is really just kind of, and I hate to say that he seems like a really good guy too, but um, you know, him being out of the lineup and and them not having to overcompensate for what he can't do in the lineup, it has really helped the defense. And there's a reason why Brown was recently released by the Raiders. He was signed him a week after the Bengals released him. So he's currently out of a job and probably for good reason. Right. Right. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. I think we are going to get out of here. There's a lot of different, we've got to a lot of questions. I, I don't know if there's any others, John, that you want to get to, but, um, we appreciate all the feedback. We appreciate all the questions that you have submitted to us in a variety of different ways. You can get this show if you're new to it. If you've happened to join us for the, the, uh, if you happen to join us for the live recording for the first time, or, or it's one of your first times you can join us. We usually do these listener question segments two or three times a month. We have our weekly show usually on Wednesdays. And then we have the post-game reactions after every game. And then we do some, some little breaking news shows as well. But uh, we're, we're on the air two, three, maybe even four times a week, depending on what's going on. So join us. Get the show in a number of different ways in terms of audio platforms. We have our YouTube channel. And keep it to CincyJungle.com for this show and all the news, opinions, analysis. All of that is on CincyJungle.com. Programming note, next week we will be joined uh, by a representative from the SB Nation LSU blog to help us break down Joe Burrow and our 2020 prospect watch. So you'll definitely want to listen for that. We have two. Uh, we have a, We had two this week with Tua and Justin Herbert with some folks within the SB Nation network. So uh, they gave us some good insight there. So check those interviews out from this last week. And then... A couple of weeks from now, we usually record on Wednesday nights. Wednesday night is Christmas night, so both Christmas Eve and Christmas night, we will not be on the air. But I think I think we've talked about this, John. I think we're going to do it the 26th, which I think is the Thursday. So um, just a little programming note. Keep that, keep that bug in your ear about when we're going to be going live. Anything else you want to get to before we jump on out of here, John? Nah, I think we, I think we covered it all. I, th- I think the fans got the point. Okay. I think they got the point. I think they I think they always get the point. We always say we're gonna, yeah, let's keep it, let's keep it short. And we uh we go longer, but it's good. It's a lot of stuff we get to. So um hopefully hopefully you guys all enjoy it. Thanks, Sean. Enjoy your little party tonight. And uh thanks everybody. Have a good weekend. We'll be back at you for the post-game reaction show Sunday afternoon. Join us then. Mar for MVP. Businesses have always needed customers, so customer engagement has always been a thing. You know, steak dinners, golf, in-person handshakes. Not exactly efficient, though. But thanks to Zoom Info, times have changed. Now you can engage with the right customers across all channels and grow your business efficiently and effectively, all from one platform. Sorry, steak dinner guy. We've got work to do. Unlock insights, engage customers, win faster at ZoomInfo.com. ZoomInfo, how business goes to market.